Okay, hey, welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you are here. 7 o'clock p.m. is when we do this. We do this every Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger from DansFish.com. Good to have you here. Glad you're on board and welcome to the live stream. So I've got some cool stuff to tell you about this week before we get started. Um, first, I'll explain this nasty algae mess behind me in just a moment. It's still there. It's still going. I've got a reason for that. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of cool fish club things that are happening. And then I'm going to show you the awesome fish that I got in. I'll be doing an unboxing uh, video soon of this stuff, but got some really cool stuff in. And then after that, we'll turn it over to you guys, uh, kind of tell you what's been going on in my week. Then we'll turn it over to you guys. If you have any questions or comments or, uh, I don't know, jokes, whatever, uh, feel free to leave them down there. If you want me to respond, then if you make it at Dance Fish so that it highlights for me, then I will be sure to uh, see it and respond. If for some reason that doesn't work, there's certain devices that doesn't work well on like Android phones and stuff, um, and I keep missing you, then if you'd bring it to a mod's attention, the mod will let me know and I'll get to your question or comment. I never skip anyone on purpose, but sometimes it happens uh, just because it's not highlighting for me. So it's been a little crazy here, as you can see from the thumbnail to this live stream, it totally snowed today. <laughs> Because it's May Day. Why wouldn't it snow, right? They say that, uh, what is it, March is in like a lion, out like a lamb, or is that April? I don't know. For us, it's like June. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's life in Wyoming. You don't move here for the weather. I think there's a reason we are the least po uh, populated state in the nation. <laughs> because our weather, um, it's not exactly California. Let's put it that way. So let me start by telling you about this, and then I'll go into the uh, fish club stuff. And um, oh, after that, I want to mention the uh, a, a couple other things too. But so the I was gonna scrub this down today. In fact, yesterday evening I made a video about plecos versus algae. Basically, this is all green and covered in algae because uh, uh, let's see here. Last Wednesday, early in the day. I put some new Plecostomus in there, they're starlight plecos, and I wanted to, them to have plenty of food. So I didn't scrub the glass in there for a couple weeks and it got like that, it got all grungy. If I don't scrub it every week, it, it gets pretty grungy, the, the front pane of the aquarium. So I left it so that they would have food and I was like, what a great opportunity to like make a video where I throw in some plecos and we see them clean up the tank, clean up the algae. That'll, that'll be good. So every couple of days I would take a little video of their progress. Unfortunately, they didn't make any progress. Like they didn't, they didn't need any of it. Um, I saw them out and about and eating and stuff, but they didn't make a dent on that algae on the front pane of the glass. I think it's just because it's a 125 gallon aquarium. There's just so much food in there that I, they couldn't get it all or something. Or maybe it's not quite the right kind of algae that they like to eat. So anyway, earlier today, I went to scrub it off so that it would look good for this live stream. And also, I'm finally going to be doing a uh, tour of my fish room. It's been a long time since I've done that. People keep asking for it. And uh, I was going to scrub that down so that tomorrow when I do the tour, that tank looks decent, right? Well, but then this happened. So I don't know if you can see this. Let's try to show you. 
don't know if you can see this right here, but those are angelfish eggs. Um, Goldie, the big gold angelfish that's been in this tank forever, um, paired off with one of the koi females and they spawned. So I couldn't scrub the glass because I didn't want to disturb them. So that's why the glass is still like that. Now, this is their first spawn for both those fish. So I kind of doubt that they'll be successful, but I'm going to let them give it a go, see how long they can take care of the eggs and the young. And who knows, maybe they'll be successful. Probably not though. That tank has a lot of fish in it, but we'll see. But anyway, that's why that tank is still grungy like that. Just wanted to get that out of the way. I did see a super chat here. Um, so let me get to that. 42 watching. Thanks for being here, all y'all. Let's see, where is that super chat? I want to make sure that I don't neglect to thank for it. Tampa Tom says, no more professor with a super chat of 199. Thanks, Tampa Tom. I appreciate that. For those that don't know, um, until recently, I was a full tenured professor at a college here in Sheridan, Wyoming. And I stepped down from that position. I resigned that and I'm doing this full time now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an odd move. I get it, but I like doing this a ton. So this is what I'm doing. So Tampa Tom, thanks. I appreciate that. Always appreciated, never required, but thanks so much. So real quick, I want to show you this for those that live in, uh, Michigan. I will be speaking here at the Grand Valley Aquarium Club on May 11th. It's coming right up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So here's their calendar. Um, if you are in the area and can make it, I would love to see you there. So check their website out for that. And then the other thing is, if you're here, Bucks County Aquarium Society in Pennsylvania, they have their massive auction on the same day, May 11th. So I obviously can't speak there, but... I'm sending them some stuff for their fundraiser. So you can get a, uh, I think it's a $30 certificate towards dancefish.com there. So if you're in the Bucks County Aquarium Society area uh, and you can make it to this meeting, um, go support this club, get some cool stuff at their fundraiser and raffle and giveaway and all that. And uh, yeah, help them survive another year, right? They've got to do these fundraisers occasionally so they can keep going. So that's, kind of what's going on club-wise. Um, last thing before I look for some questions and comments, and then I'll get to the fish that came in and show you all that. But the last thing before I do that is, I do wanna mention a couple people in our community that are in need. Uh, one is 54 Punchy, the beloved uh, Pam Earlywine. She's had some medical stuff and could use some help. So there's a GoFundMe for her. Um, that I'm sure one of the mods can list so that you guys can be aware of that. And also Amp Aquatics, Amber, um, has been diagnosed with cancer and has to go through some major, major expenses uh, in the short order. So she can use some help as well. If you go to the Get Gills Facebook page or Facebook group, sorry, um, Amber's GoFundMe is pasted at the top of that so you can help her out as well. So um, I just, those two people do a lot for our community. So if we can help them out, I just want to mention that, uh, that they could use some help. All right, so I'm going to scroll down and see what I missed here. Get to your questions and comments. Oops, I just did a, there we go. I screwed something up. 
<laughs> me screw something up? Never. Um, <laughs> all right. So first off, I want to thank my mods for being here. Bob Kaler, thanks. Candy Overhaul, so glad you could make it again. And Candy, I really wanted to see you on Monday when I went up to pick up all these fish, but it was one of those days where I had a ton of fish to send out and I just didn't get done in time. I was rushing to get to the airport to get the fish. Um, there just wasn't a gap. And then once I pick up the fish, I just, I, I run home as fast as I can to take care of them because they've been in those bags for a while. And you know how wholesalers pack and importers pack and stuff. So, but anyway, I was thinking about you and Caleb and your family uh, Monday while I was driving up there, but man, I've got to figure out a way to do that. Mondays are crazy for me. I send out a whole bunch of fish and then I drive to Billings, which is a couple hours away, go to the airport and pick up new fish. And um, man, by Monday night, I am wiped. I am, a, I am, by the time I go to bed Monday night, I'm a tired boy. But anyway, it's great to see you here, Candy. Couldn't see you in person, but it's good to see you in here. Um, all right. Let's see here. Small Fry Aquatic says, hola, and highlighted for me. So, hola, right back. Espero que su vida está bien. Um, that was great Spanish. Carbon, really, hello, hello. Good to see you as well. I was going to say your evening is going well, but I totally blanked on the word for evening. 44 Mad Guy 1, just wanted to let you know the turquoise guppies that I ordered for you came in fine. Cool. They started to color up just a couple of hours after they got to my house. Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. This is tricky shipping time temperature wise because like it snowed here, but in Texas, it's like super hot. So uh, I'm glad to hear it. In fact, this week for shipping, we've only had one DOA the, or this month. I mean, the entire month of April, one DOA. And we almost doubled our busiest month ever. We've had an incredible month to the point where I actually had to start hiring some help. For those that have been here a while, if you go look at old videos, you'll see a tour of a uh, aquaponic system in, in a greenhouse that was built by a guy named Pistol Abbott. Pistol, like a handgun. Abbott. Uh, he's, a, he's a great fish guy, knows a ton. Anyway, the last four weeks, he's been uh, coming to help me pack just because it's been so busy. I haven't been able to keep up, but I'm glad to hear they made it in good shape. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, our record for April is amazing. Probably literally, I don't know, many, 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 many hundreds, if not thousands of fish sent out and uh, only one DOA. So I'm I'm really happy with that. I hope you get lots of babies out of them, uh, 44 Mad Guy. And uh, yeah, enjoy. They're stunning. I, I love that strain. I think it's a beautiful strain. Jeff Chambers, come to Sacramento next. Hey, Jeff, I would love to. Uh, the SAS is my old stomping grounds. That's my old aquarium club that I grew up in. So yeah, go ahead and talk to your leadership. Let Rich Briarly know that, um, that he needs to have me out there to talk or something. I would absolutely love to go there. Candy overhauls. It's okay. I understand. Well, thanks. I'm glad. Uh, still miss you guys. Tristan Schuster. I have now successfully bred the sword tails I got from you. Awesome. Awesome. I now have a tank full of fried to grow out. Thanks again. I'm so excited. Tristan, I'm so glad to hear that. I know there were some bumps in the road. Um, 
He's talking about the uh, cauliflower, high fin, red-eyed red swordtails. Kind of a tough uh, breed of swordtail to propagate. Um, they tend to spawn a lot slower. It's taking people a few months to kind of get them spawned and get babies and stuff. But uh, I'm glad to hear that they are doing well for you. I'm just about out. I have just a few left that I need to put back on inventory uh, that I held back just in case someone had a problem, but no one has. Uh, one person, theirs developed some stringy white poop, but in it, I hope I didn't send them a sick fish. I don't think I did because none of the fish here have, have shown that. So it could be something they picked up there. It could be something that just the stress of transfer brought out. I, I don't know, but... Um, Besides that, they've, they've been the last couple of weeks pretty rock solid for people, but they're tricky. Some people do have some trouble with those red-eyed red hyphen cauliflower swordtails. They're just, I, I don't know if they're more delicate or, or what, but they don't breed as readily. And um, yeah, so it's quite an accomplishment, Tristan. I'm glad to hear that. I hope you can raise the batch up and that we can start getting uh, you know, some of those going in the United States to disperse to people. Because right now, the only way to get them is from China, really. There are some people that breed them, some real uh, you know, swordtail geeks <laughs> that breed hyphen, cauliflower-type swordtails, but they're few and far between, and they seem to not produce enough to distribute to the general hobby at large. It seems like it's kind of an ALA distribution type thing. So glad you did it. That's awesome. Chewy LTD, is there a way of contacting you through email? Yeah, dan at dansfish.com is my email. And if you ever forget that, if you go to my store and get gills and click on store details, you can email me through there too. There's like a, a message box. You can enter a message in and send it and it goes to my email. Dan at dansfish.com. I noticed your video on the angelfish starlight plecos are very cool. The low temperature type pleco as well as the rubber mouth. Yeah, it's a pretty neat ancestress. I think they're absolutely beautiful. And I'd like to thank Mile High Plecos uh, for hooking me up with those. Those came from Mikey at Mile High Plecos. 57 watching. Nice. Um, if you feel so inclined, if you wouldn't mind sharing this so we can... Uh, See how high we can go. 57 is good for this little channel. And if you haven't done so and you want to, then I would invite you to like, subscribe, hit notification bells, share, all that schmaz. No requirement, of course, but every little bit is helpful. Candy, thanks for linking my email there for uh, Chewy LTD. Kent's Fish, I just started Spawn Bozmani Rainbows. Awesome. Now you've got a haul to go. Um, that's great, they're spawning for you. The babies are super young, uh, small when they're young, so have some really fine foods. Uh, Infusoria is great, as are kind of really fine floating powdered foods work well. The golden pearls in the like five to 50 micron size does well. Some people use rapashi too. Uh, they just sprinkle the dry powder on top, things like that, Hikari makes a food. So that's the stuff that tends to work well with those. They grow slow, it's gonna take a while, but once they get on the baby brine shrimp, it gets a lot easier. So that's awesome. I'm glad you're breeding the Bosmani rainbow. Uh, one of the most beautiful rainbows out there. So that's that's great. 44 Mag, oh, and someone told me, um, <laughs> 44 Mag guy once says thanks, so you're welcome. Um, someone 
told me they got, they have their teacher and they got some half beaks from me and put them in their classroom aquarium. And I think they said they got 11 babies over the weekend. So they, their trick was to remove the female to a 10 gallon tank with a lot of plants in it. And they moved her there well before she became obviously gravid. Um, it appears that if you move the half beak female when she's, you know, obviously gravid and closer to birth, that she'll stress out and you might get stillborn babies. So it seems like the trick is put the females in with the male for a little while and then move them to their own tank with a lot of plants so that they can give birth without being stressed when, the, uh, when their due date is close by. And then you remove the female as soon as you can because uh, they will eat their fry. That's what all those plants are for. Yeah, so I was thrilled to hear that. I think that's awesome. Okay, small fry aquatics. To the extent you can describe, how do you train up hired help to bag and ship? I'm very much in need of help, but how to train? Um, well, Pistol's a natural, and he and I hang out together quite a bit. So this, I mean, he's helped me out occasionally ship fish. Uh, oh, he did it a few times, like several years ago. So he was already kind of familiar but the way I trained Pistol, and I'm lucky because Pistol knows fish. He's a, an aquarium geek like the rest of us. And he not only knows fish, he knows water. He used to work for a company that uh, dealt with water. Like it, you know, energy supply, supply places. What I mean by that is like big methane wells and, and coal mines and oil rigs and stuff. How do you take this nasty water and, and purify it so it doesn't harm the environment or harm your equipment and things like that. So he knows, um, and he's worked irrigation for a long time. So I'm really lucky with Pistol. We're not starting from zero. So with Pistol, I just showed him how I did it a couple times. And then um, he did a few test bags and he picked it up pretty darn quick. He's a smart dude and he knows fish and he knows water. So it was easy. Um, and I'm right by pistol while he's working, I'm working, we're working at the same table. So it's, you know, if a bag comes out wrong, he can just show me and be like, Hey, I, this doesn't look right. What happened? And I'm seeing what he's doing while he's doing it. He's seen what I'm doing. We're working together at the same time. So it's kind of just doing it. Now there are, uh, um, it, it is kind of a learned skill. There's like muscle memory almost as you do it. And a feel for how taut the bag is and when exactly to remove the bag from the sealer and all that. It, it, it does take some practice. It's not something someone's going to just know automatically. So, um, but every week he, he gets better and every week there's less bags that we have to redo. So yeah, uh, I don't know what to say besides that. We just, I, I demonstrated to him, let him do some practice bags and then we both worked next to each other. Um, and if anything came out too flaccid, it'd be like, oh, here's what's going on there. And he'd make an adjustment or if something came out too taut or too high or too short, you know, all those things that can happen. Or you accidentally melt through the bag and have a pop a seal, all that stuff. So um, just working next to each other is how to do it. And I would say that uh, he knows how to do it well enough now that I could just I can pretty much just turn pistol loose and he'll, he'll take care of it. So that's not probably going to be a ton of help. Um, 
for you small fry aquatics, but um, that's that's how that's how we did it. It was just a demonstration and working together on it. And, and again, it's a learned skill. It is something where, I mean, at this point, Pistol's probably done, I don't know, uh, several hundred bags for me in the last few weeks. Um, and so just doing it one after another, he's getting that muscle memory, getting kind of that intuitive sense of what's going on and how to handle it. But it's not something that I can just be like, here, here's how you do it. And then someone just, even Pistol, with all his experience with fish and in water and everything, um, it's there's still a learning curve to it. And the only way I think for someone to learn it is to actually do it because it's a very tactile thing. So it's probably not much help, but that's what I got for you. All right, 59 watching, 58. Cool. So <laughs> we gained a couple. <laughs> what were we at? 57 when I asked everyone to like and share. <laughs> We got two. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Carrie's Tropical Tanks. Have you kept uh, Dakinzia filamentosa? Yes. If so, how hard on plants were they for you? Oh, man, they munched plants. I kept them in this aquarium, um, but it was a bare aquarium with a couple spawning mops in it. Is And in, in, that's how I kept them. So they would absolutely munch plants. They would also munch fins on other fish. So... At first, I kept a few of them in, probably a dozen of them or so, in with uh, like six or, or eight uh, full-grown Macaulay rainbows. And I came in the next morning and the dorsal fins on the Macaulay rainbows had been like mowed down. So I immediately removed those, of course. But um, yeah, they're, they'll eat plants and they're feisty. So... I'm not saying that you can't keep them with other fish. I'm just saying be aware that they can uh, they can be problem children in certain situations. I mean, I've seen people keep them with other fish without a problem, so I know it can be done. But there are times when they've been a little aggressive for me. But yeah, they're going to mow down plants, in my experience. And I mean, you might be okay with something tough like java moss or java fern or anubias things like that for a while um, but anything any kind of normal plant i think they'll mow it right down chewy ltd oh but before i get to chewy's comment if anyone else has a different uh experience and has been fine keeping them plants in tanks uh, let us know because it's in this hobby there's so many times when i try something and it doesn't work Someone else tries it and it works for them or vice versa. It's there's so many variables that can trigger different behaviors and different issues that it's almost not always like if you say, can I keep neon Tetris with full grown Oscars? It's like like in a 55 gallon. It's like, no, you probably shouldn't even have an Oscar in there full grown. But um, so there's very few things, though, that are that cut and dry. Usually there's a lot of variables on it um, that could cause different behaviors and different outcomes. 62 watching. Yes, we did it. We got four more. Welcome. Welcome to the new folks. Chewy, what were you a professor of in college? Theater. Uh, my degrees and my background are in entertainment, mostly live theater. So yeah, taught acting, um, done a lot of directing, uh, produced a theater festival for a while, developed a lot of new plays. 
In fact, if you're in, uh, well, I won't go into that because it's not fish, but if you're in New York or in other places that have a lot of theater, then there's a couple plays going on. Uh, I think one's having its world premiere this summer and another one's having, yeah, I think there's two probably going this summer. So, but yep, theater is what I grew up in. Greg Jones, what are your favorite live bears that can tolerate slightly lower than tropical temps? Um, lots of live bears, most of the, uh, sword tails and by, and I'm talking low seventies, a lot of the sword tails, um, variatus platys and stuff, but the goodyids or goodayids, I always say it wrong. I first learned that word wrong. I learned it goodyid and, and I think it's actually goodayid, but by the time I learned that it was too late. It was already like embedded in my head. Um, most of those really prefer it lower temperature. Almost anything that Greg Sage sells at Select Aquatics is going to like it lower temperature. Uh, not the mollies and a couple other things, but most of those will. So I like all those. The Xenotokas, I really like. Um, yeah, most of those fish will take it lower. It, if that answers your question, is there another, like, do you want something more focused? Uh, let me know if I can go in on that a little more for you or not. Tristan Schuster, it took a month for them to finally breed, but for her first batch of fry, it was, it was huge. I would say roughly 70 fry. Wow. A lot were small and have passed away, but I still have at least half. Oh, okay. So the first ones you got a lot, but some passed away. And by the way, at least a quarter of them are just going to be stillborn or pass away really quickly um, if they develop that much. Because if they're double, if they're homozygous for hyphen, homozygous for hyphen won't survive. So they, they have to be pretty much heterozygous. So you want, um, so the hyphens carry both a hyphen and a lofen normal fin gene. And when you breed them together, the ones that are double dose of hyphen, homozygous for hyphen, are, uh, are not going to make it. So it's pretty normal with that breed to not have all of the fry uh, survive just because it's a lethal gene. Tampa Tom, can I use a kiddie pool for a pond? Sure. I was thinking of digging a hole for it and making lots of guppies in it. Yeah, I think you can. The only issue you might have, Tampa Tom, is uh, it getting so hot in Florida and a kiddie pool being so shallow that that water could get just bacon hot. Um, so you can probably do it. Definitely keep it in a shaded area. I think it would be... a a more sure bet if you had some, a deeper container, like a big, you know, kind of watering trough type rubber tub or something like that. You could try a kiddie pool though. You know your area better than I do, but if you have a spot in the yard where you can keep it and yeah, burying it in the ground will help, but still a kiddie pool is so shallow that temperature might be an issue. But if you know that there's a spot in your yard where you can keep it, uh, the temperature from just absolutely climbing up there and boiling the fish, then sure, a lot of surface area is good. 
But that would be my concern, man, is just uh, that Florida heat. I went to Florida in December and it kicked my butt. Just it was so hot and humid and it was December. In the summer, I, I worry about the heat there. But I don't live there, so I'm not sure exactly, you know, you know better than I do. Tech Turtle, I need to talk to you at ASAP. Can I email you? Yeah, anyone can email me anytime. Dan at dansfish.com. Uh, that's how to email me. Yep. Tech Turtle, I might need to send you some Cory Cats. I just had about 30 to 60 hatch. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hopefully you can raise up a nice batch. That would be great. Candy Overholes, uh, linking up my email there for Tech Turtle. Thanks. Chewy LTD, speaking of the cauliflower sortails, shortage of males is how they are being sent out right now. Oh, I know it. Apparently, thank goodness, though the breeders could use uh, the other strains. Yeah, yeah, you can use uh, any male sortail, domesticated male sortail pretty much to breed to those. And you'll still get hyphen babies. You might need to do some crossbacks to get the cauliflower back uh, to the point where you really want it because that could get diluted a bit. But hyphen, <clears throat> sorry, hyphen times the normal fin equals some hyphen and some normal fin. Hyphen times hyphen equals some hyphen, some normal dorsal fin. So, yeah, but absolutely. I, I know that the last, I mean, it's hard for me to get males and everyone wants males and it's really frustrating because... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't bother me, but I, after the 50th email of the week asking this, it's kind of like, if I had them, I'd sell them, but people know I have the females. And so I'll get emails all the time. And it's fine. Email me anytime. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but saying, I want males or when can I get a trio and all that? And I'm like, man, if I could get a male, I would sell it to you. But sometimes they send no males Sometimes they send something that like might be a male, but it's kind of iffy. It doesn't look like it's a fully developed male. And I don't know why they're like that. My guess, and I don't know this for sure, but it's like it's a female that's been exposed to hormones to try to turn her into a male so they could sell her more or something like that. But I don't know that for sure. But yeah, getting a good normal male from that strain of sortails is very difficult. The most I've ever got, I think, in a batch of 30 was six, and I often get none, so it's hard. That being said, I think a lot of them are probably pre-hit, so a lot of them are, are already pregnant. I can't guarantee that, but that's what seems to be the case from people that have bought them and then end up getting fry, so. Um, Bathy Phila. Got any suggestions for barb-like schooling fish that could do summer tubbing in a somewhat extreme environment? Ooh, need to be able to take temps from the 50s to the low 80s. I think I've got one for you. I'm a little hesitant because I have not tried it yet, but I think you'd probably be okay with Odessa barbs. Um, probably. I know that they, you know, Greg Sage, when he breeds them, he bumps the temperature up to, I think, 82. So they can take the heat. And I know that they can take it down in the 60s, mid 60s, low 60s is not a problem for them. I've never tried them in the 50s, but my gut says they'd probably be okay. Uh, golden barbs would probably be okay. And rosy barbs would probably be okay. That being said, 
once you get up into the low 80s, make sure you've got good water movement like in there so that, yeah, I mean, that's just so that they don't get their oxygen depleted too bad when their metabolism kicks up and everything in the environment starts like goes into turbo mode basically. So, but yeah, I think Odessa's would be okay. I'm pretty confident rosy barbs and golden barbs would be okay too. Um, anyone here have any others that they can think of that might do well at those temperatures? Please uh, let us know. And by the way, Bathyphila, this is just me guessing from what I know of those fish. I've never tried it. So if you try it and it all goes wrong, I'm sorry. I'm not saying it'll work. I'm saying I think those will be okay. Bathyphila, don't worry about how you pronounce Gedeid. Almost nobody pronounces it the right day. The family is named after a man named Goad, maybe? So it should really be pronounced Goodid. Ah, without the E. Goodid. Oh, that's interesting. I'll never remember that, but thanks for letting me know, Bathyphila. <laughs> Tampa Tom, thanks, Dan. Well, you're welcome, Tampa Tom. Michael Wilson. Homozygous hyphens are reabsorbed in utero. Oh, they're never born. Okay. That's why brood size on hyphen times hyphen are smaller. Oh, okay. Thanks, Michael, for that clarification. So it's not that uh, they were born and some died because they were homozygous hyphen. They would never have been born at all. Okay, great. Thanks for the clarification. Appreciate that. Um, all right. I've reached the bottom of chat and I've got to all the questions and comments that are highlighted. If I'm missing you, it's because it didn't highlight or it skipped on me or something. So repost if I missed you. Um, but let me show you guys what we got in. We got some cool fish in. Let me show you this for now, and then we'll get back to your questions and comments. So um, well, that's weird. We're looking at me, looking at me. <laughs> so got some Uwaru in, just one of my favorites. So every now and then I get some in when I can find a, a group in at the right size and the right price. So love this fish. It's just a great little, oh, little, right now they're little. It's a great, like a discus. It's the only other freshwater fish that I know of where the babies eat the slime coat off the parents, uh, like discus. Got more Aplicylus block guy in, or blocky eye, because I accidentally fed my last batch to my bettas. Aplicylus panchex, and this is the orange strain, so it does look like this. It's got the orange on the fins. It's one of it's one of my favorites of the panchex. Often the panchex will come in and they don't have much color on them. But um, wait, did that say egg barriers? Oh, these guys don't bury eggs. Jeez, those are plant spawners. Anyway, but this strain is actually this nice orange fin strain, which is why I got it. I think they're fantastic. One of the first killifish I ever bred and raised. Really hardy, super easy. Some more Geophagus wine milleri because I ran out. I kept two back just because um, they're, they weren't formed quite right and I never want to sell fish like that. So I have two left, but that's all I have left. So I got more to kind of replenish those guys because I don't know if they're my absolute favorite geophagus, but they're right up there. They are truly stunning, awesome fish. Red flamingo guppies, just because I like them. And right now I have a blue guppy, a nice turquoise blue strain. I've got a great cobra endler strain and a nice Santa Maria endler strain, but I didn't have anything that was kind of, you know, nice and red. So got some of those. Finally got the rosy loaches. They came. 
I've been trying to get them for a long time. They're not always available, at least from my suppliers, or if they are, they're often not available at a price that makes sense. Um, they're doing well. I got, I think a couple hundred of them. I think I ordered 300 of them and uh, I don't think I've lost any. They're, they're fantastic. Then I'm excited about this one. This is Gymnogeophagus balzani. It's called the Argentine Earth Eater or the Paraguayan Earth Eater because that's where they're from. And so they can take it cool. They like it uh, down in the 60s to the mid 70s. They don't need it hot at all. In fact, in order to breed them, if they're not breeding, almost like you would with a native fish, you give them a cooling period, take them down to the low 60s or so. Uh, they can go lower than that, but low 60s will do it and leave them there for a month or so, warm the temperature back up to, oh, the mid 70s. And that should trigger spawning, just like we do with a lot of our, our native fish. So really excited about these guys. I've wanted them for a long time. I, I lived in Argentina for a couple of years, so these have uh, they're close to my heart, and I'm glad we finally got some. Finally did it. I've been trying forever to get Brigitte rasboras in, the uh, chili rasboras, Raris Brigitte. I know they're not like a totally rare fish, but I can't tell you how hard it's been for me to get them. I ordered, I've ordered them many times, and they haven't come in. I've ordered them many other times and they've come in, but they haven't been the right species. <laughs> they've been other species, which are still cool, but not what I wanted um, or not what I was trying to order. So finally got some Brigitte Rasboras in. Thank goodness. I'm excited about these. Got some Black Tiger Dario in and they are doing awesome. They're fantastic. They're absolutely stunning and they're thriving. And I think that next week we'll be able to list them for sale um, because they are looking good. These are awesome. I like a Scarlet Battis as well, Dario Dario as well, but this is a different flavor and they are absolutely stunning. So excited they came in. Mr. Grandma uh, Jeffra or Jeffira, I guess, uh, like this little Episto. It's to me a beautiful fish. It's I like cockatoides and and uh, all those kind of designer McMasteri and the designer flavors and stuff. But my heart is with like a nice wild strain Apisto, um, Agazizii, Double Red, all that. I like all those, but I like to get these kind of fish in too. I, I just really like the natural Apistos. I'm really excited about these. These are Rhinogobius rubromaculatus, a beautiful Rhinogobius species, kind of like the uh, white cheek Rhinogobius that we're all familiar with, more or less, but a uh, totally different variety, different species. And I hope they do well. I've got my fingers crossed for these guys. I've never had them before. Hopefully they do well. Applicylus dei, one of my favorite surface dwelling killifish, just absolutely beautiful. And uh, yeah, just a cool fish. I like these guys a lot. And then some silver tip tetras. I, I didn't really order these. I like silver tips. They just kind of, uh, the one of the suppliers threw them in the box as a like, here's some bonus fish for you. So good haul this week, which is nice because the last two weeks my orders were shorted like 
100% shorted. So I had ordered 12, 14 varieties or different species and got nothing. So I'm thrilled all these came in. I am excited and uh, hopefully they do well. I did get, I, I guess, you know, I like being transparent with you guys. I got some bitterlings in too. And I don't know what happened, but they didn't even last the night. Like, usually I do really well with fish, but, and I've had bitterlings before and I wasn't keeping them hot or anything like that. It looked fine in the bag, put them in the tank and like checked on them later that evening. I, they were not looking great. Next morning, almost all of them were down. I think I've got like one left. So if anyone knows any tricks to keeping bitterlings, they aren't hot. They're low 70s, that tank, I think. Um, I, I liked it to be cooler, but low 70s, I think should be fine for bitterlings. I've kept them at that temp before. Lots of oxygen in there to keep the oxygen level high. Totally clean aquarium, like sterilized, scrubbed out, no ammonia or anything in there. So I have no idea what happened. And I'm really bummed about it because... These were the ruby bitterlings, which is a different species from the normal Taiwan bitterling. Um, really hard fish to find. So I'm really bummed about that. By the way, in case you don't know, um, these fish will be available here at getgills.com at my store, um, which is Dan's Fish. So if you go to getgills.com and click the Dan's Fish store, you can see all my stuff. Or if you just go to dancefish.com, it'll take you to my store on Get Gills. If you have fish to sell. Um, you can create your own store here on Get Gills and sell stuff here. So uh, let's see, like this guy, Aqua Research Center. He, this is all the stuff he has for sale. So anyone that wants to sell fish online, this is an easy way to do it. You don't have to create your own website and go in for all those costs and things. It's uh, kind of ready to go. You just sign up and you can add your stuff. It keeps track of your inventory. It, uh, it makes it pretty easy to sell fish online. And the best part is when someone buys your fish at getgills.com, uh, the payment is automatically deposited in, into your bank account. You don't have to email back and forth about, okay, thanks for buying. How do you want to pay? And how many do you want? And all that stuff. It's, it's all kind of done automatically for you. So it makes it pretty nice. All right, back to questions and comments. Bathy Phila, I run air stones in my containers. Odessa barbs definitely sound interesting. Yeah, I think they'll be okay. Um, I know they can take it up to 82. I know they can take it down in the low 60s. Let me know how they do in the 50s. Hopefully, hopefully they're fine. And I don't know. I mean, 58 degrees is a lot different than 51 degrees. So we'll see. BDK 1320, what are the advantages of an auto water change over a drip system? Um, well, so my system is a drip system that does an auto water change. So basically most people, when they talk about having an auto water change system, they've got a hole in, drilled into their aquarium or they have a self-leveling siphon that can do it as well. And that keeps the water at a certain level, either a hole with a bulkhead for a drain or a self-leveling siphon will keep the water at a certain level. So then you hook up a drip system and you put that on like a sprinkler timer. And anytime water is added to that tank through the drip system, 
then fresh water comes in and old water overflows. Now there's a little fresh water that gets mixed in and, and there's a little bit of waste to that. But if you put your incoming water on the opposite side of the tank from your outgoing water, you know, that's the best you can do really. So doing that creates an automatic water change. You bring in fresh water and old water flows out of the aquarium. Now you could rig up a system, I suppose, um, where, and I've done it in the past, where you, the, the tank almost automatically drains and then you can refill either automatically or manually, however you want. So how I did that in the past was I had a hole in the aquarium and I put a pipe in there up to 50% of the height of the aquarium. So half as tall as the aquarium. And I put that behind, for me, it was behind a Hamburg Matten filter. So no fish were getting back there or anything. And then outside of the tank, I had a ball valve and I would just open it. Water would drain down. It would empty half the tank. I would close the ball valve and then put on a, uh, basically a hose and pump water into the aquarium to fill it. So that's not quite an auto water change system. It's manual, but it's pretty darn fast. So I could do a sizable fish room um, and refill, let's see here, 15, 30 gallon tanks plus some 20 longs and a 55 and a 30 and some random tanks in about half an hour. So I just open them up, let them drain, and then it took me about half an hour to fill them back up. So drip system is kind of an auto water change system without draining water. It just overflows is how that works. So let me know if you need follow up on that. Um, I suppose that the main advantage to having something that isn't a drip system and overflow, but an actual drain and refill is then you know exactly how much water you actually changed. In an overflow drip system, you're never quite sure how much of the water going out is old water or how much of it is new water that just came into the aquarium. So it's a little less efficient in the use of water. So I don't know if that exactly answered your question, BDK1320, about auto water change versus drip system, but um, that's the best, I, that's my understanding from your question. So if you need something more, let me know and I can, I can get, I can answer something more specific or go in a different direction, whatever you want. 64 watching, not bad. Welcome everybody. Speaking of the devil, Pistol Abbott, <laughs> Abbott? Pistol Abbott, finally got logged in. Thanks, Danny Lee. Hey, Pistol, good to have you on board. I, I told everyone that you're uh, helping me bag up fish now. So, so if there's a problem with your uh, fish, just blame Pistol. <laughs> All my bags are perfect. No, no, of course not. Pistol's doing great. Glad to have him on the team. Um, let's see here. Chat jumped on me, so I'm scrolling back up to where we were. Just a second. Hang on, working on it. Okay, there we go, found it. Uh, Reels Tank saying hi. Hey, Reels, thanks for saying hi. Good to see you here. Hope the angels are doing well. And I keep looking for those wild Peruvian angelfish. I know you want them, and I want them too. I haven't found them. There are suppliers that list them but I know that those fish are coming from Asia. So what I think is happening is they originally were from Peru, but are being bred in Asia. 
so they're actually not wild. Although I suppose they could be buying them really small, wild, and raising them up and reselling them. But um, I'm waiting until I can find them actually from Peru, uh, so I know that they're the real deal instead of you know a strain that's been bred in captivity. Because the whole point of getting those is to get that wild, pure blood uh, that we need to kind of keep our stock, get our stock back to uh, back to shape after we've <laughs> inbred so much, if that's what we're doing. And just because they're just gorgeous. I, I mean, I, I like them in their own right. They're just a gorgeous fish. Tech Turtle, I'm sorry I had to step away. Did you ever say anything about my quarry cat situation? Just that I think that's awesome that you're breeding them. I hope that they do well for you. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing how it goes. If you haven't seen it yet, I've got some videos on breeding and raising quarries. Um, in my experience, it's all about a lot of food and clean water with those guys. They eat a ton. Baby quarries eat a ton. So the challenge is feeding them a ton without creating a toxic environment with ammonia spikes and things in the water. But if there's something specific you want to know about them, let me know. And yes, you can email me anytime, dan at dansfish.com, and I'm happy to help you out. Time for a drink. My whistle needs a water. Hmm. Hey, we're up to 68. Welcome, everyone that just joined us. Glad you're here. Jeff Chambers, what is your favorite, favorite? <laughs> I don't know who my favorite is. What is your favorite, sorry, geophagus species? <clears throat> it really might be the wine milleri. I like those. Um, yeah, for, for the last five years or so, it's been the wine milleri. I went through a phase where I liked the hump heads. Um, the truth is I like a lot of them, but wine milleri is probably my favorite. There are some gymnogeophagus I really like too, and I don't remember their scientific name. I'd have to look them up, but uh, I like them because a lot of them stay fairly small. Some of them top out at four to six inches-ish, um, and a lot of them can take cooler temperatures, which can be nice. But the wine milleri, man, you cannot beat the color on those things in the finage as they color up. They're absolutely stunning. That being said, it takes a while for them to, well, they grow pretty quick, but that color really doesn't develop when they're little. You have to wait for them to grow up a bit, but they're not like rainbow fish. They grow fairly rapidly. Chewy LTD, Gambusia is wild invasive to Florida. A good sword tail for people to look for was those red alphas. Um, I thought Gambusia were native to Florida, but maybe I'm thinking of Heterandria formosa. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Terry's tropical tanks. Did those have a clear nuchal hump? Um, let me show you. It's it's kind of it almost reminds me of like a aranda. Um, Jim, no geophagus balls and I. So I wouldn't call it clear, but I would say it's kind of kind of jellyish, a little bit translucent looking. Let's see here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's see-through or anything, but it's definitely, some of these pictures do make it seem like it's a little bit, <laughs> like it's jello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're unique. They're, let's call them the Orandas of the uh, cichlid family. By the way, 
I found out what makes a cichlid a cichlid as opposed to other really closely related fish. And it's that their lateral line is not continuous. There's a break in it. So if you look at the lateral line, you'll see it go long and then kind of stop and below it, a different line will start and continue through to the uh, end of the tail. So yeah, that's what makes a cichlid a cichlid. The lateral line is not continuous. It's split in two. Bathyphila, do the black tiger baddis have the same aggression as Dario Dario? So this is my first time, Bathyphila, keeping the black tiger baddis. Um, I've never kept them before, and so I don't know the answer to that yet. From what I've observed so far, they are displaying a lot, um, but they aren't thrashing each other. That being said, I've got them in a tank with a lot of pipes for them to hide in. I've got a lot of java moss in there, so everyone's got plenty of territory. So far, so good, but it hasn't been that long. Um, by now, if they were Dario Dario, I would already be seeing some shredded fins and things if I kept this many in that setup, and I'm not seeing that. So my hope is that they are a little calmer and a little easier to keep in a group. That being said, they're still fairly new to me, so I don't know. Has anyone else kept the... Uh, Tiger Battis or Tiger Dario? And if so, what's been your experience? Have you been able to keep uh, groups long-term or have you had issues with that? With me, like with Dario Dario, the Scarlet Battis or the Scarlet Dario, I guess. Um, I, I always find like you get a group and they thrash each other and you end up with just a couple males and everyone else has just been thrashed. So... I'm curious about these black tiger Dario, and my hope is that they're more peaceful. BDK1320, think you will ever do a live stream with Corey at Aquarium Co-op? He has done live streams with other YouTube creators, and I think you would do well together. I would love to do that. Um, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to do it. I haven't approached Corey about it. Corey's a super busy guy, and I have communicated with him and things, but... Honestly, I try to I try to kind of respect uh, how busy he is. <laughs> but so Corey did try doing live streams. So I've I've watched every live stream Corey's ever done back from way back when when he and Lamont were uh, figuring out how to do it. Um, I've been watching Corey for years, and what I've seen is he has tried a few live streams with some other folks and then he created a studio and it was it wasn't just him it was other folks and i think from listening to him the conclusion he's come to is pretty much that more people watch the live streams when it's just him um i can't speak for him or anything but i remember him talking about why he's not doing this studio anymore and why he and uh, corvus oskin aren't doing their kind of partnered live stream anymore and stuff and it's just they loved it but somehow them together weren't getting as many views as them separate. Um, maybe they have different audiences. I don't know. But I remember him talking about that in a live stream. So I think if Corey really wanted to live stream with people, he could have pretty much anyone on with him he wanted ever. And the fact that he's not doing that just makes me think that he would rather do it by himself or just doesn't have the time to uh, make it happen. But that being said, if anyone here is tight with Corey and wants to see that happen and, uh, 
and lets me know that he's game and wants to do that, I would totally, totally be thrilled to do that. I really like Corey. I respect what he does a lot. I don't agree with everything the guy says, but no one does. But even when I disagree with him, what I like about him is uh, he explains his reasoning behind things pretty well. So a lot of times I'll watch a live stream or even just a video or even on Facebook, watch people respond to questions. And the answer is yes, no, don't do that. Do this without the reasoning behind it. And what I really like and respect about Corey is when he's talking about something, he explains why. And he almost always is able to come up with an analogy or a way to explain it that makes sense or sense to at least some people. Every now and then he comes up with one and I'm like, I didn't get the whole thing about the gas and the car and the brake and the wind resistance in my nitrate cycle. I didn't quite get that. But usually I think, uh, yeah, I, I really like that. So I would be thrilled to do that. Um, I've, I've wanted to partner with Corey business-wise for a while, but I think he's just too busy to make that happen too. But if it could happen, absolutely. But I know from communicating with Corey in the past, in the recent past, that he's super busy. And so it's hard for him to like respond to things like, hey, let's live stream. Um, you know, he's got a lot going on. But BDK1320, if you want to make it your mission in life to make that happen, I would be so grateful. Like, I would love to do that. Absolutely. He's a guy I respect, and I think we could have a good dialogue. And um, yeah, I think we think differently about things, but could both disagree and have a good dialogue and explain it and uh, not have a problem. Yeah. Wichita Falls Fishkeeper. Hi, Dan. Well, hey, Wichita. I, I actually been meaning to email you. Um, I owe you some water Sprite because I remember I sent you some uh, in the dead of winter and it didn't do well. So I've been meaning to ask you when that could happen. So I've got to email you at some point. Oops, when will the fish post on Get Gills? So hopefully some of them, hey, Mile High, just saw you. Oh, from Snowy Gillette. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Wichita, hopefully I'll be posting um, some of the fish on Get Gills next week. Hopefully all of them. Sometimes, um, let's see here. The Brigitte Rasboras, the Chili Rasboras, it they all ras all the Baroris species uh, come in just super emaciated uh, and shaky. So those tend to take an extra week or so before I'm willing to sell them because I want to make sure they've gained weight, that they aren't shaky anymore, that they've got totally used to aquarium life and flake foods and all that stuff and are fat and not at all um, stressed and have recovered and are good to go. Because if I do that, they're going to be bulletproof for you. But if I don't, you're going to get them and they're going to just slowly one by one, two by two, just die off on you. There are blackwater species and it takes a while for them to get acclimated to life in a, uh, in a captive environment. So they're going to take a little longer, probably. Um, but 
there's several that are doing really well. The Wine Milleri are doing good. The Gymnogeophagus are doing well. Like almost all of them are doing really well. The, yeah. So the Aplicylus panchax have some ick. Uh, often that happens when fish come in. So treating that, but ick doesn't scare me usually. It's usually it's really simple to treat. So I think they'll, they're pretty hardy fish. Those should be ready. So I'm, I'm thinking next Friday, hopefully almost everything is posted on Get Gills. Yeah. Yeah. Although let me, let me look at my calendar. Yeah. Although I might wait until I get back and post them on like the 13th or 14th. Cause I don't want to post a whole bunch of fish, go out of town to speak at the, uh, fish club and then fly back and have like 50 orders that happened while I was out traveling and couldn't respond to and help. So I might wait a little while. It might be that Monday or Tuesday. Anyway, yo, 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 says Mile High Plecos from Snowy Gillette. So you just had the same snowstorm I did. You're in my backyard, dude. So Mikey, seriously, if you can get a little time off, man, come on over. I, I would love to show you the fish room. Uh, yeah, come on over, man. It'll be fun. But I know when you're working that kind of job that it's like, 20 hours a day and all day, every day. So I know you, you can't always get time off, but if you can, man, come on over. I'd love to see you again. Um, I just saw a massive super chat came through, uh, 63 bucks. Cool. Who was, Hey, Kaler, Kaler's aquatics. Thanks, Bob. $63 because we haven't this number or amount before no more professor. All right. <laughs> super chat and unique amounts, unique dollar amounts. Thanks, Bob. As, as you know, I appreciate you, man. I'm glad to have you on my team. Thanks for being here. So, so glad to have you here. Lumpy Dog. Hey, Lumpy. Glad you made it. Hey, Lumpy. I'm going to be speaking uh, at that club in uh, on the 11th. Um, is that your neck of the woods? If so, let's communicate. I'd love to, if we can, get a meal together, check out your fish room or any anything like that. I'd love to get together if we can, if you're game. And if that's if that's your area. Uh, Michigan's a big state, so I'm not sure exactly. Okay. Hang on. I totally jumped the chat here. Tampa Tom, 199, no more professor. Hey, thanks again, Tampa Tom. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, hang on. I'm catching up on the chat because it totally jumped on me. 76 watching. That is awesome for this little channel. 76 watching. That's fantastic. Hey, if you haven't done so, if you wouldn't mind liking and sharing, seeing if we can get some more folks in here, that's that's good momentum. That's good. Hey, for those folks that are new, I explained at the beginning of the live stream why this aquarium is so like the green monster covered in algae. So uh, I just want you to know there's a good explanation. Short story is angelfish spawned in it, and I don't want to disturb them by scraping the glass off. But um, and then there's plecos that I need food for in there, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, there's a reason for it. My takes don't usually look like that. I just want to get that out of the way for anyone new. 78, that's awesome. Okay. Tampa Tom, what L number is the yellow pleco? Or is that like an alternation of the albino genetics? Um, man, there. this was in Amazonas Magazine a while ago, the big old massive yellow golden pleco and i'm such a novice at plecos that i can't even tell you which one that is so 
someone who knows, maybe Mile High. Hey, Mikey, can you let us know which one is that big old yellow pleco? I think it's from the Jingu, but it might be from somewhere else in Brazil. I think that's the one Tampa Tom's talking about. Some of them are pure yellow, and some I think are yellow with some red on them. Um, I think Imperial Tropicals has them as well. So Tampa, if that's kind of in the ballpark, it's kind of a good size pleco. I mean, there is an albino bushy nose, which is yellow, but so that might be what you're talking about. But um, I think we're talking about a natural occurring uh, wild type L number pleco, which I don't know the name of. So I'm counting on someone else to help us out. I'm sorry, but I know almost nothing about plecos. Uh, I know about a lot of fish. Plecos are not something I've gotten into much. And I don't generally talk much about fish that I haven't kept and have experience with because then I lead people astray. <laughs> 44 Mad Guy 1, what food do you recommend for guppy fry? Anything. Um, baby brine shrimp is fantastic. If you can do something that's a veggie, like a rapashi that has some veggie in it or some spirulina flakes or something, and feed that and alternate that with baby brine shrimp, then you'll get amazing growth on those fish. But baby brine shrimp, you'll get the best growth I've ever seen on guppies with that. Um, a good alternate, if you're looking at good growth, is kind of any rapashi, anything you can keep in front of them for a good period of time. They'll just pick at it all day long, and that'll be good too. But honestly, they'll eat pretty much anything. But I would remind you that uh, guppies need quite a lot of vegetation in their diet, and often we feed them too much protein and then they get all chesty on us and, and uh, kind of bloaty and misshapen a little bit. So keep in mind the, the vegetable matter in there. Now, being babies, they're growing a ton, so high protein is important too. But don't neglect the veggies on them. But honestly, I haven't fed a food that guppies won't eat, including guppy fry. For mine, uh, what I do is I feed rapashi. Uh, kind of, well, let me, let me go back. So I will... In the morning, usually squirt in some baby brine shrimp. And then I'll put in a chunk of rapashi and let them kind of graze on that most of the day. And then that'll last a few hours. And then in the evening, I'll usually do some flakes or sometimes some more baby brine shrimp. But um, yeah, they eat crushed pellets, they eat crushed flakes. I, so I try to use the baby brine shrimp and rapashi to kind of keep food in front of them. And then I will supplement that with flakes or pellets or, or whatever and they do great so just don't neglect the veggies and you'll be fine killers aquatics at dance fish of the killies you have posted for sale what would you recommend for a black water tub breeding project um, if the tub is indoors and you can control the temperature then i would recommend the aphiosemen caliurum uh, they're gonna do great in that environment if it's a outdoor tub and the temperature is going to get going to swing and maybe get pretty darn hot then i go with an aplicylus species so um i don't have any right now but shortly i'll have aplicylus panchax the orange form aplicylus blockii and aplicylus dei for sale all those can take it pretty warm um so that's what i would say if it's going to get hot because it's outside go with aplicylus if if not, then Aphiosemum caliurum is going to do amazing in that. That being said, though, um, the Aphiosemians will do great. The Poropanchaks will do great. Uh, 
the Congo Panchaks will do great. The Procatopus will do great. And the Epiplates will do great in black water. So they just don't like it super hot. So hope that helps. But um, I think Aphiosemum caliurum, that's just what pops in my head for an indoor black water project. All right, for those that are new, um, if you have a question or comment for me, please list it. I'm happy to respond. If I'm not getting to it, it's because it's not highlighting for me and I'm not seeing it. So if you have it highlight for me, that would be great. Then I can see it jump right to it. And you do that by typing the at symbol. And then without a space, start typing dance fish and you'll see my name populate. Click on it and then type your comment and I can jump right to you. If you're having trouble, if, I, if it looks like I'm ignoring you or something, it's because I'm not seeing it. In which case, uh, let a mod know and they'll bring my attention to it. Um, Mile High Plecos says, how those, how them Plecos, Dan? They're great. I moved them into this tank. They've been uh, munching on all this algae that's covering this aquarium. And uh, they are fat and happy and doing great, man. One of them grew big enough that it uh, lost the white seam on the edge of the caudal fin. And the two others are pretty close to that size. So... They're growing, and I, I think that now that they're in here, they're going to grow even faster. And hopefully I can get a spawn out of them. I don't know what the sexes are yet. Um, I think they're, I'm not sure if they're big enough to sex yet, or I'm not, I'm not good enough at sexing them when they're small to know. I've got to wait. It, once a male gets a big old, then I'm like, oh, okay, that's a male. Until that happens, I, I can't really tell. Again, Pleco novice here, but thanks for them, man. They're they're pretty awesome. Dan the Pleco Breeder has a ring to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my online dating handle. Dan the Pleco Breeder. <laughs> Did I miss a super chat? Sorry about that. Let me see if I can pick it up. Bob Kaler again. Hey, thanks. Pitching in for my super chat partner. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Thanks, Bob. That's awesome. That's amazing. I appreciate that. <laughs> Watching Bob and Mike. So for those that don't know, um, Bob Kaler and Mikey Trevor, Mile High Plecos and Kaler's Aquatics have this long-standing, friendly super chat rivalry. And so every now and then they like to tease each other using super chats. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Hey, GH Aquatics is here. Hey, JH, good to see you, man. I hope those killies are doing well. And um, I saw that video where you separated those tetras. And I haven't been able to watch it yet, but it, I'm going to watch it soon. And my hope is that those are breeding for you. And so you've got enough that you have to separate them. That would be awesome. Um, I'm excited about those. Those that don't know, check out JH Aquatics channel. He collected some tetras in Peru that I have never seen in the hobby ever. And I'm rooting for him big time to breed them so that we can get them. I, they're a really unique uh, looking fish. So check them out if you get a chance. Real Stinks. I think I got a pair of the Wild Peruvian Angels. Awesome. That's great. I hope they do well for you. And if you can spawn those um, F1 Peruvian Angels, that would be amazing. I think those would be awesome looking fish. And I, I also think there'd be a market for them real. I think that you could uh, sell those without any problem. Mega Mindy Lou. Hey, so Mega Mindy Lou, if you didn't see it yet, Goldie spawned. Goldie, 
the long-term angelfish has spawned. So I released a video of that today. I know that you like Goldie, so check it out when you get a chance if you haven't already. But Mega Mindy Lou asks, are the wine milleri, that's geophagus wine milleri egg layers. Yeah, they are. They're a, a biparental mouth brooder. So um, I think, I man, as soon as I said that, I had a doubt. I haven't bred them myself, but from the reading I've done, if I remember right, they're a, a biparental mouth brooder and they uh, lay eggs and then both the male and female take turns incubating the eggs in their mouth and taking care of the fry in their mouth. So they're kind of like an African cichlid like that, except for, you know, biparental. They both do the work. The first time I saw uh, Geophagus doing that was um, there's a guy named Bob, and I'm blanking on his last name in Utah, and he's got, uh, what, Rift Lake Aquatics or something like that. Anyway, I was over at his house. Oh, how did I blink on Bob's last name? Bob Allen. Yeah, Bob Allen's house. And uh, he had this tank with this beautiful group of geophagus in there, and they were spawning, and it was awesome to see. It's cool to watch the uh, partnership between the mother and the father. Dr. S. Experimentus. Hey, good to see you. I believe porthole catfish are classified as a quarry. So my question is if the porthole catfish will breed as easy as a regular quarry. So um, Dr. S. Experimentus, they're, they're a catfish. So they are classified as a quarry at some level on the taxonomic tree, but um, they're a totally different genus. So they're often though in the pet trade sold as like a porthole quarry, or I'll see them on the lists in the quarry section, um, which is separate from the other catfish. So they are wrapped up in the hobby sometimes like that, but they are a very different catfish. Um, in fact, if I remember right, aren't portholes bubble nesters? Um, breeding. Can someone clarify that? I think that, yeah, they're a bubble nester. Yeah. So I've never bred them. I know people that have bred several species of that genus um, or that type of catfish. So I don't know how easy they are. I haven't done it, but I know people who have. So they're a bubble nester, which is kind of cool. So in the same way that like an anabantoid, like a betta or a garami builds a bubble nest, these guys do that too and lay their eggs up in there. So they're very different than a quarry in how they spawned. And as far as how easy are they, I'm really not sure because I haven't done it. Um, I know folks do it and folks do it fairly regularly. So I don't think it's that hard. Jeff Hannibal, just wanted to thank you for all the help and excellent info. Hey, right back at you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're welcome. And I'm anything I can do to help make folks successful or help folks, uh, you know, love this hobby. I'm glad to do it. A, because I, I like it. Right. But B, because I'm a guy that relies on this hobby for his living. And so the more people that are successful in it, the, the more money I make or I mean, bottom line. Right that's not why I do it. I mean, I do it because I love it, but it can't it, like, it helps you. It helps me. It helps the hobby. It helps my business. There's no downside. So I'm happy to do it. Plus, um, besides pistol and a few other folks here in Sheridan, there's no, 
there's not a lot of like diehard fish geeks. And so I need you guys. I need my fish geeks. Like I live in a tiny town in Wyoming. Uh, I'm pretty isolated. And so this is a chance for me to interact with fish folks. And I, I love it and I miss it. When I lived in Los Angeles, there were lots of fish clubs there. There were hundreds and hundreds of fish geeks and I could drive up to lots of places and see like world-class setups and tons of fish rooms. One guy, my friend, John, um, he owns the fish house. He has a whole house. He has two homes, one he lives in and one is all fish. Um, it's amazing. I loved going there and he's a great guy too. Um, so I miss that. So thanks to you and everyone else for letting me have a people to geek out with on fish. Terry's Tropical Tinks. Cichlids share a single key trait, the fusion of the lower pharyngeal bones into a single tooth-bearing structure. Some other non-cichlids can have a broken lateral line. Okay, I'm getting schooled by Terry's Tropical Tinks. Well, yeah, I did know about that too. Um, I did know about that as well. But... I thought it was really cool that all cichlids have a broken lateral line that I didn't know before. So I guess I should reword that. Not that the broken lateral line makes a cichlid a cichlid, but that all cichlids, as far as what I read, like I just read this, like maybe on seriously fish or something. I didn't talk to like a professor of ichthyology about it or anything, but, um, uh, from, from that, it kind of just, Something clicked in my mind when I was like, okay, all cichlids have a broken lateral line. I thought that was cool. But yeah, Terry, Terry's clarifying. Getting schooled by Terry's tropical tanks. Yep, that's true. Um, Terry, if it is missing a triangular tooth bearing plate, it's not a cichlid. Yep, gotcha. Cheshire Cat, I've been wanting those baddest, but I've read the only eat live and frozen foods. Are you introducing them to flakes and pellets? Just returned to the stream, so I might have missed you talking about it. So um, I'm going to do my best, but I've never had luck getting any Dario species to eat anything besides live and frozen foods. So I don't think so. I'm going to try, but I've never had luck with Dario Dario. I've never had luck with Battis Battis. Um, there's just certain fish that I can't get to eat anything that's not live or frozen. So I don't know, Cheshire Cat. I'm going to try, but I'm not hopeful just of my experience with other closely related species. Chewy LTD, what is the diet of the genus Battis? They're micro predators. So um, they'll go around and look for tiny little organisms to eat. So They'll eat benthic stuff. You'll see them picking at little animals that are attached to leaves and things like that. They'll eat little copepods, um, but all kinds of little living animals is what they'll eat. They're, they're a micro predator. Which, which is probably why it's so hard to get them to eat prepared foods because their whole feeding response is cued off something that is not satisfied by pellets and flakes. At least in my experience, I haven't gotten them to do that. Um, I think other folks have got baddest baddest to eat prepared foods, frozen and, and pelleted, or I'm sorry, flakes and pelleted foods, but I've never been able to. Um, for those wondering where the heck I am in this chat stream, I just reached Bob Kaler's uh, super chat of $63. Thanks again, Bob. 
just to have a unique super chat amount. I appreciate it. BDK1320, don't hold your breath on me being your hookup with Corey. I uh, just a big fan of both of you and Corey. All right. Yeah, no worries. There's I, I understand that. No pressure. But yeah, if I could do a live stream with Corey, I'd love to. Sakana Katana, I'm moving to an area with soft water, 30-ish TDS. Do you have any tips to harden the water to make it suitable for guppies and blue eyes? Um, well, the first thing I'm going to say, uh, Sakana Katana, is that I have really soft water and I keep many, many blue eyes and lots of guppies and antlers. And once they get acclimated, we're fine. It can be touchy to get them there, but once they're here and they're settled and they're they're kind of acclimatized, takes a couple weeks, um, then they don't have problems. But for the first couple weeks, they're very prone to external parasites. Um, it helps to start with some salt in the water. I'll, I'll talk about how to harden it in a second, but it, it helps to start with some salt in the water and kind of gradually remove that so they don't go from hard to soft suddenly, although they could do that, but some salt helps. Um, but to harden the water, kind of the best we can do is use like oreganite or crushed coral, put it in your box filter or put a thin coat of it on the bottom of the aquarium, something like that. And you have to kind of change that out every now and then as the crushed coral is the calcium carbonate and it kind of gets depleted. So that's the best I've seen is crushed coral. That's the way a Cory at Aquarium Co-op does it. That's the way Greg Sage does it. I've, uh, he's like one of the live bearer kings. I've been to his fish room and uh, he's got crushed coral for that purpose. Crushed coral seems to be kind of the best way to do it so that you don't get constant spikes and troughs of hardness. So that's what I would recommend. That being said, um, I have crushed coral in a couple of my tanks. I'm just experimenting with it. But for years and years, I've kept live bearers and blue eyes in my super soft water. I have two grains hardness. Uh, most test kits, I can't detect any hardness in my water. It's that soft. That being said, uh, one blue eye that doesn't do as well for me is Pseudomugil tenilis. And it, it lives and it even spawns, but it doesn't color up into that gorgeous fish. Uh, and that could be because my water's soft. It could also be because it's too cold. That particular species likes it high, like 86 degrees would be great for that fish. And I didn't know that when I got them. And my fish room's kind of in the mid to upper 70s. So they did fine. They bred. They just didn't get beautiful. And it wasn't until uh, much, much later that uh, someone told me, yeah, they like it warm. And I was like, oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> so that's my thoughts. Uh, Sakana Katana is crushed coral. Look into that. Uh, Cory at Aquarium Co-op has some good videos on using crushed coral to kind of help work with his hardness. Matt Kelly, Dan, do you still have a siphon drain to drain the mulm out occasionally, even though otter water changes? Yeah. So in fact, uh, my friend Pistol Abbott that I talked about who works with me, he helps me uh, last few weeks. We've been super busy, so he's bagging fish for me now, helping me with that. Gave me this. So this is a cool little doodad that I'm using. It's basically a little thing that attaches to your siphon 
I don't sell this, by the way. I'm not saying this to because I'm trying to make money. But it attaches to your siphon. It's got this little vacuum end. And then you can go suck the mulm off the bottom of the tank. So up until now, I've just done it the old-fashioned way, which is, you know, I've got my siphon hose and I go around and siphon it up. But that takes forever because that little hose doesn't have a lot of surface area that it covers. So this thing, um, I haven't used yet, but Pistol just gave it to me. And I've got a tank that has a bunch of mulm in the bottom because I, uh, I sterilized it. Uh, it had a, a problem in there. Some fish in it got ick. I moved them out to a hospital tank and treated it and everything, but I, I bombed that tank uh, with hydrogen peroxide and I'm restarting it again. So when you bomb a tank with hydrogen peroxide, any organic matter gets you know, nuked and falls to the bottom in this really fine kind of mulm dust. So I'm gonna try this on it and see how it goes, but I'm real excited about this. I think this will help. But yes, with auto water changes, you still will get, often you'll get mulm and detritus on the bottom that you have to siphon up. Now there's a way to not get that. And that is to have a fish in the tank that will stir up the bottom. If you have Corydoras in your aquarium, they'll often break down everything so much and swim down on the bottom so much that it kicks it up into the water column. And then if you have a hang on back filter or a canister filter or like a box filter with filter floss in it or something like that, all that stuff will get sucked into that and will keep the bottom really clean. Every now and then you might get some algae growing on the bottom that you have to scrub off. But so some of my tanks, I almost never have to clean the bottom because I have quarries in it or live bears will do it too. They'll often go and just pick at the stuff and break it down. Uh, shrimp will do it. Lots of critters will do it. And then I have box filters in there with filter floss in it that, that sucks all that up. And then I change the water um, and clean that filter and that helps. But I have other tanks that don't have that and they get big layers of mulm on the bottom and I have to clean it out. So yes, you still have to occasionally siphon out the bottom of the tank to keep it clean usually. The best tank I've had to not have to do that is this one, which I know has a bunch of algae in it right now, but there's a, a power filter over here, right here. You're seeing the nozzle right above my finger and that blows water across the bottom and that kicks up all the mulm off the bottom of the tank and up into the uh, kind of where that it overflows into to go to the canister filter. So by having a filter kind of kick water across the bottom, you can keep it really darn clean because it keeps all that stuff stirred up to get removed by your filter. I also have a whole bunch of skunk quarries in here. I think there's a couple dozen in here and they clean up the bottom too. So there are ways to do it so you don't have to do that as much but uh, sometimes you have to get in there and scrub it out still. 64 watching. All right, not quite our peak, but still not bad. Matt Kelly, Dan, do you still have to... Sorry, I just <laughs> I just answered your question, Matt Kelly. 44 Mad Guy 1, cool, thanks. Might have to get some of those new guppies you got in. Awesome, yeah, I'd love you to do that. I like selling fish, it's how I make a living. <laughs> um, Bob Kaler, thanks again for your $65 super chat on behalf of Mikey, <laughs> pitching in for my super chat partner. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Kaler, don't mess with old people. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Mega Mindy Lou, will you put links to the YouTubers you like to watch? Um, yes. Well, I want to say, yeah, let me think. No, no, I won't. 
The reason is, is I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, I don't want to list YouTubers I like and then have someone be like, hey, you missed me or why am I not on there or any of that. So sorry, Mega Mindy Lou, I'm probably not going to do that. I don't want to uh, create hurt feelers for anybody. My instinct was like, yeah, let's do that. I'll share it with you. But then I was like, ooh, if I miss someone, that could that could be an issue. So I think I'm going to steer clear of that one. I could see that creating problems. All right, Tech Turtle, I just sent you an email. Cool. I'll probably get to it tomorrow. I've still got a ton to do tonight. Um, but Tech Turtle, I will get back to you tomorrow. Take your time. I'm in no hurry. Okay, cool. Dr. S. Experimentis. Oh, wow. I did not know they are bubble nesters. Sweet. Thanks for the clarifications. That's a project I want to work on, breeding that catfish. Yeah, I hope you do it, and I hope you have good luck. I think that would be awesome, watching a catfish build a bubble nest, right? Matt Hoffman, any tips, tricks on breeding blue galeris? Yes, yes, yes. So, all right. Okay. Blue Galeris are a fish that almost anyone can breed, but a lot of people have trouble raising the eggs. A lot of people have the eggs fungus out on them. So the trick is, how do you keep that from happening? There's a few things. The easiest way to breed Blue Galeris is to have a tank with uh, you know gravel on the bottom or sand in the bottom, something like that. Have it planted, have a nice tank. It doesn't have to be. You could just have some gravel or sand on the bottom uh, with you know, spawning mops or whatever. But if you do have spawning mops, float them and keep them like an inch off the bottom or something like that. The goal in this setup is to get the blue glares to lay all their eggs in the substrate, not in the plants or the mops. I'll talk about another setup in a minute, but for this specific scenario, establish tank, filter, under gravel filters are great for this, but you could use anything, some gravel or sand or something for them to lay their eggs in. And not real fine sand, because that won't allow enough oxygen exchange. Make it like a real chorus sand or, or a gravel, okay? Leave them in there for a couple weeks. A few pairs, a pair, a male and a few females. Then remove them and just wait for the fry to appear. That is the easiest way to breed blue glares. Once the fry appear, start feeding baby brine shrimp. You'll have a bunch. Most people raise enough that way that they aren't going to need to do it other ways, but there are other ways to do it. Another way to do it is a bare bottom tank with a spawning mop. Let them breed in there, uh, remove them, pick the eggs from the mop, and then you can put the eggs on peat moss and uh, wait for them to hatch. That's a good way to do it. The problem is, this is where as soon as people start picking eggs, they start having a lot of eggs fungus. Blue glares are a fish that, from my personal experience, tend to, um, I don't know why, but their eggs need help. So if you're gonna pick eggs, what I would recommend is picking them, putting them in a container of water, not right on the peat, in a container of water, and putting something in there to kill fungus and bacteria, whether it be hydrogen peroxide or methylene blue or any of those other things that folks use. 
Um, until any eggs that are going to fungus have fungus, and you can see the other ones are good because they'll still be clear or a little amber colored. They won't have turned white after a few days. Then take those and put them on peat moss for incubation. By having though a tank, you just put the blue glares in, let them spawn, remove them and let the babies hatch naturally. You do away with a lot of the problems of the eggs fungusing that you'll get when you start removing the eggs. That's been my experience. So those are kind of two ways to do it. There's another way that people do it, which is a permanent aquarium setup with a divider on it. And they keep the uh, side with the parents in it fairly dark and put a light on the side, that, the other side with the divider so that there's a bright side and a darker side and the fry once they hatch will swim over to the brighter side and you can collect them out that way. So that's a permanent setup that you don't have to remove the parents from. Um, then, yeah, that, those are kind of the most successful way that I've ever had though is a permanent setup, put the parents in, remove them and just let them hatch and start feeding baby bright shrimp. That's what I would suggest. If you wanna to get tons of eggs at once, separate them, separate the males and females for a week or two, then put them together. You can have 100 or 200 eggs uh, in a couple days from a pair if you do that, if they're good size and the female gets nice and fat. So once you get them to hatch, they're super easy. They eat baby brine shrimp, they, go, they grow rapidly, they're fairly hardy. It's just keeping the eggs from fungusing, which is the problem with, with most people with that fish. So those are my thoughts, Matt. If you need anything more specific or want me to drill down into something else on that, let me know. But that's, that's the way I would do it. Wichita Falls Fishkeeper. Do you listen to the Aquarius podcast? Yep. He had Michael Barber as a guest. I would love to go collecting with him in Peru. Oh, I know. Tell me about it. But yeah, I love the Aquarius podcast. Yep. Randy Reed. And He's got some great interviews on that. There's another cool podcast called Aquariumania, which is done by an actual fish veterinarian or fish doctor. And um, maybe he's a professor. No, I think he's a fish vet. But anyway, he does lots of interviews with uh, kind of the industry side, like massive commercial breeding operations of aquarium fish uh, with fish veterinarians on how to treat fish, fish health. Stuff like that. And what I like about it is uh, often he and his guests have like actual knowledge. They're trained in like fish medicine and in fish aquaculture and massive production for farms and things. So you get a different viewpoint you don't get normally in the hobby. So that's Aquariumania podcast. Okay. Sakana Katana. Thanks for answering my questions. You are welcome. Happy to do it. We're still small enough channel that we can do that. Maybe one day we'll get so big that we have to figure out another way to manage things, but I'm happy to answer everything right now. Bob Kaler, are the Epistos sexable? Still looking for ladies for the other Epistos from you. They're not. They're maybe an inch. So they're they're little guys. So or or gals. Little guys or gals. I'm not sure which. So I can't sex them. Uh, yeah, nope. Cheshire Cat. I learned oceanography in oceanography class that the bottom of the ocean is a bit higher in pH due to crushed coral shells than the surface. I've been applying the class to aquariums to understand both better. That's awesome. Anytime you can take a college class that lets you have fun as a fish geek, that's a win. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. All the crushed coral stuff would fall down. Yep. 
Two LTD. The genus Batis is from India. That is why uh, some are from Burma, I believe. But yeah, I learned from one of the members of the Calgary Aquarium Society that is from India. The problem with the fish is that they can only accept live foods. Yeah, and frozen foods. They will eat frozen foods. I've got them to eat frozen without any problem. But yeah, they are definitely uh, not a fish I've got to eat flakes or pellets. I wish I could. Man, it would make my life easier. Sakana Katana, would a pair of Aphiosumin Calyurum Ogun killifish be comfortable in a five gallon? Yeah, that'd be massive for a single pair of killifish. Also, did anyone take advantage of that Walmart sale on the Marineland portrait tank today? Oh, I didn't know about that sale. Uh, my Walmart stops carrying fish and stuff, so I didn't know anything about that. But yeah, five gallon aquarium is plenty for a pair of Aphiosumin Calyurum Ogun. I want to say this about killifish though. Um, anytime you have just a pair in a tank, especially a normal size tank for killifish, which is anywhere from one gallon to five gallons, um, keep an eye on that female. In certain setups, they'll be fine forever. There's plenty of hiding spots. Everyone can get out of lines of sight. There's plenty of food, no problem. In other setups, the male will try to breed with the female so constantly that She'll get stressed, just like if she was in a tank and a fish was kind of picking on her and chasing her around. Even though the male is trying to spawn with her, it still stresses her out. And sometimes males can get a little aggressive when they want to spawn and females don't. So this is just a general rule with killifish. Just keep an eye on that female. In a five and a half gallon tank, have uh, spawning mops, have plenty of places for them to hide and, and hang out if they need to. But keep an eye on your females because... Uh, if there's a problem, it usually manifests in the female first because of that. All right. We have reached the bottom of the chat. Awesome. Well, it has been an hour and 38 minutes. It's 8.38 my time, a mountain time, y'all. So thanks for being here, everybody. Um, in a couple minutes, we'll start shutting it down. If you have a question or comment that you want me to get to tonight, now is the time because we're about to close her out. While we're waiting to see if any last questions or comments come in, um, I just want to say thank you to anyone that super chatted. I really appreciate it. Thanks to my mods. You guys are the best. Really, I have great mods. And we don't have a lot of drama on this uh, channel. So thanks for keeping it moving, guys. Uh, anyone that helped clarify, what was that, Mike and Terry? Uh, thanks. Anytime I give information that isn't exactly spot on, I appreciate it when someone chimes in and is like, well, actually cichlids are this. Um, cause sometimes I know what I want to say and then I say it totally wrong. Or sometimes I just have misinformation and I try not to spread that, but I'm human. <laughs> so every now and then it happens. So thanks for those that help clarify and make the stream better. Anyone that had a question or comment that I could respond to that keeps us lively and is much appreciated. Um, all you lurkers, I'm with you. I lurk a lot on a lot of streams. Okay, a couple last things. Terry's Tropical Tinks. Cribs don't have a broken lateral line. Just being a jerk. Oh, they don't? All right. All right. Totally schooled by Terry. And I actually appreciate it. No, that's not being a jerk. That's not being a jerk. That's clarifying. I said something not 100% true, and you corrected me. I appreciate that. 44 Mad Guy 1, thanks for all the help. You're welcome. Cheshire Cat, spent over an hour catching my platy fry. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> Yesterday, I've got a couple tanks with endlers and guppies in it that I need to sort out. And 
I'm just like, oh, I'm dreading it. Not because I don't like doing it, but because I know it's going to take me all day long. 15 minutes or less on the big ones and one of the smallest just swam in the net for me. The entire hour on the smallest one. Yep, they can be they can be tough. Good night, says Carbon. Really? Good night, everyone. Well, hey, thanks for that, everybody. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for being here. We will be here next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And until then, I hope you have a good one. See you then.